Hey, Will I Like It listeners, do you like a good cup of coffee, one that's rich, flavorful, and ethically sourced? Then you need to check out Dynasty of Coffee, a Yorkshire-based online coffee business that offers a range of expertly crafted blends. All of their coffee is roasted to order to ensure freshness, and they're committed to nurturing the well-being of both individuals and the planet. Whether you're a fan of a bold, strong coffee or a smooth and mellow one, Dynasty of Coffee has a blend for you. Their four main blends are inspired by different British dynasties, Saxon, Viking, Tudor, and a decaf Hanoverian. So if you're looking for a delicious and ethically sourced cup of coffee, head to dynastyofcoffee.co.uk today and use the code SAXON10, that's SAXON, all capital letters, 10, at checkout for 10% off your first order. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Will I Like It podcast. I'm your host, Craig Brooks, and today I'm with Kat Milligan from Wildcat Foraging. Welcome Hi. back, Kat. Hello. Um, do you know what? I meant to check what episode number you were originally so I could go from episode such as, and I didn't. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. From way back, I think it was, well, we did a Burns Night special, didn't we? So it was probably January time we spoke. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very good yeah. podcast, actually. It was a lovely chat. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've got you back on so we can just have a nice catch up really because we don't speak that often um, and you've been doing some interesting stuff. We both have I think. I think we've both done a lot yeah. since that podcast for Burns uh, Night. Yeah it certainly feels like I've done a lot. <laughs> Too yes. much. Too much. Yeah so yeah we'll we'll talk a bit about um, your stuff and maybe a bit about my trip as well. Um, and if you start to fall asleep, we'll call it a day. <laughs> I will fall asleep, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, the biggest thing, you know, that I wanted to talk to you about was your wild biome project that you were involved with. Um, and probably a good place to start would be to maybe explain to people what that was. Yeah, so um, earlier in the year, after we'd had our Burns Night podcast, actually, I was very lucky to be um, approached by an incredible forager to participate in this medical study, the, the Wild Biome Project. And uh, what that was, was myself and 25 other foragers, mostly from the Association of Foraging, um, were going to live off of purely wild food for a month or up to three months. Um, I could only commit to a month because of other things that I had arranged. And um, it was going to be very interesting. And what it was really about, it wasn't, um, a survival challenge uh that's why they approached uh, certain foragers to make sure it wasn't that um yeah and it wasn't a historical challenge either although i really like my history as you know so i brought that element into it it mm. was really looking at the changes in our physiological uh well-being um our mental well-being and just general overall health but with a particular focus not focus focus <laughs> on the on the gut biome um yeah did all kinds of tests and it was really I was completely flattered to to be invited on and I'm very excited about it though I got invited quite late to the project 
So I didn't have the sort of stores I would have probably built up um, had I known further in advance. So that made it interesting. <laughs> yeah, so you were also able to use some stuff you'd pre-prepared. So if you had meat in the freezer or something, as long as it was a wild found food, that was acceptable, right? Yeah, there were certain parameters. So like I said, it wasn't a survival or historical challenge. So yeah. um, we could use, you know, modern day cooking implements. We could use our fridges, our freezers. Had I known it at this sort of time last year, I was going to be doing it. I would have been right in there collecting all the mushrooms I could and berries yeah. particularly. Um, but I was also caring for my dad at the time. So there would have been limited opportunity anyway. Um uh, what we wanted to try and do, though, was make it as fresh and seasonal as possible. So although we could use our stores, um, try not to. Um, I mean, pretty much everyone, I think, that took part did use some stores, uh, mm. some dried mushrooms, things like that. Um, the month I was doing was May, and it was a very, very late sort of uh, season in my corner of Scotland. Um, things were growing a lot later than normal. Um, certain mushroom species came in a lot later, uh, which made it a challenge. And then the parameters we were given was um, as long as it was wild, no cultivated species at all, no organic homegrown fruit and veg, nothing like that, unless it was wild native species. Um, we, for moral reasons and legal reasons, we weren't going collecting wild bird eggs. So there was some substitutes. If we found wild bird eggs, um, we could substitute it with like someone's local chickens. Um, yeah. There weren't really any meat substitutes other than I had grey squirrel instead of red squirrel, but it was still wild. It was still living off of the local wild ingredients itself. Um, yeah, that's kind of all the sort of swap outs I can think of. Yeah. So what, what was it exactly that they were aiming to find from the project? Was it there must have been a goal? Well, how the project got set up was um this in, in, incredible forager, like I say, fantastic herbalist and all round fascinating person, uh Monica Wilde. She lived off of purely wild food for an entire year, uh, along with uh, another very knowledgeable forager and lovely person called called Matthew Rooney. Um, she actually wrote a book about it, The Wilderness Cure, which I've read. Oh, it's nice. Um, I read it as I was doing the project. Yeah. And they did some tests throughout it, but they did notice a lot of changes themselves. But um, a study based on two people doesn't provide a very varied demographic of data so mm. I think that's why they rolled it out to to these other foragers for for this time period and um, just to collect more information and and a lot of that data will hopefully start to be revealed later this month next month um, but that's not up to me that's just as just as far as I know yeah so how did it feel to be invited onto the project? Because you already, uh, from what I see from your page, you already eat quite a lot of wild food anyway. Yeah, um, I was really flattered, actually. I was really honoured um, because with the foraging, obviously I've, I've been doing it my whole life. Um, but until I started sharing on social media, apart from when I've been away abroad doing my expeditions, it's a very private thing. Um I haven't really 
grown up part of a community of foragers and stuff like that. So to be invited in and for people that really know their stuff to say, yeah, we, we trust that you know enough to not kill yourself doing this. Um, was really, really flattering, uh, a wee bit of an honour. Um, and it came, you know, at a kind of challenging time. Mm. Um, and the other side of it, though, as well as it just being really nice to be invited, all of a sudden my brain was just firing off with all these creative ideas of what I was going to make. Um, everything from, like, slow-cooked shredded squirrel in a, in a slow-sin sauce and, and acorn tacos to um, all sorts of mad, like, jerkies and snacks I could make. And it was just, like, yeah, creative brain firing off all mm. over the place. Um, when it came to it, time didn't really allow for all of those ideas, but mm. yeah, it was a very cool thing. <laughs> and I think, so did you do the project from home? It wasn't like you didn't get together with the other foragers? No. Um, so, I mean, that would have been like trying to herd cats, I think, trying to get us all <laughs> together, a logistical nightmare. And, I suppose um, also that doesn't show you a very big diversity because you'd all end up eating the same stuff, essentially possibly and and yeah. uh, though like everyone would bring something different to the table it's yeah. also eaten from your local environment to an extent although people did travel about it was looking at the sort of bacteria that would change in response to what you're eating and, and other things um quite localized and we had people uh, we had folk in ireland we had folk down south there was a couple of people further north in scotland than me um, so it would have been really difficult to get all together. However, people did meet up. Um, mm. A friend of mine, Lisa, Edgeless Wild Foods, she was like this ad absolute advocate. She was like my foraging uh, fairy godmother or something. She'd just travel around and sprinkle little bits of foraging things that she'd collected to just boost your diet and your morale. And and there was a little bit of things getting posted out to other people. So um, yeah. Rupert... Uh, Buck and Birch, he sent me down um, a big box of St. George's mushrooms because they weren't growing mm. here uh, towards the end of the month. It was a godsend. And um, and uh, some folks from Marvellous Mushrooms sent me some things as well. So there was a community interaction, I suppose, but we weren't all there together in, in one place. Yeah. So did it affect you, I was going to say physically and maybe even mentally as well, like that change in your diet I guess because you're going to have no sugar in your diet that kind of thing so like energy levels so it definitely affected me and I know it affected I think pretty much everyone that took part um yeah. in, in curious ways so whilst I can't reveal too much about the study and yeah, the sure. until things come out I, I can talk a bit about how I felt um so I didn't go, some people sort of started cutting out things like caffeine and alcohol and stuff like that in the run up to starting this. Yeah. I didn't because I'm an idiot. Um, I went completely from possibly the worst diet I've had in a long, long time yeah. to completely wild. And I wouldn't even have like feral species. I was going pure like native wild for as much as I can. Um and what's really curious is it wasn't as difficult as I thought. So the first week, I kind of purposefully starved myself a little bit. That sounds stupid, but I was really curious mm. about psychological effects. 
I've had to change diets um, quite a lot and quite extremely because of expeditions. I've had to ration. Um, uh, and for the first time in my life, I was like getting hangry that week. If I was hungry, I was suddenly hangry and I never get hangry. But after that first week, once I started having larger meals, um, mm. it was fine. Normally, not prior to the Wild Biome Project, but normally I have a high protein, low carb diet anyway. So I think I expected some things, um, was maybe a, lucky to be prepared for them. I did expect to miss caffeine, um, mm. miss coffees, uh, and to have other cravings because I'd had all the crap, all the sugar, all the carbohydrates, all the pizza, all the alcohol, you know, all this stuff beforehand. But once I started the wild food, the only cravings I had was for summer berries which is really curious. And I think that's yeah. because May suddenly got hot. And I think my body was like, okay, these things are going to, these things are coming. Um, uh, mentally, I was in kind of a good place. Um, it's really tricky with me though, because I'm physiologically as well, because I just had COVID not long before doing the wild biome as well, like mm. start of the month before. So it's what's the effects of that what's the effects of wild biome and yeah. then also <laughs> i had different stresses so we had an emergency with the dog like on day two of the wild biome project that kind of carried on most of the month and on the very same day um i got invitations to interviews for an absolute dream job <laughs> um and the recruitment process went on for the month of the wild biome project I I can't say what it was. You'll have to just pretend I'm a spy, but um, I, mean, uh, I don't know that you're not. Exactly. Um, I couldn't keep enough secrets. Um, <laughs> but that's um, exactly what a spy would say. Don't you know it? Um, <laughs> there were these different kind of stresses, but overall, yeah. mood was like really on the level. Um, I can't really say I suffered from any anxiety. Um, I know people that have suffered from anxieties felt less on this project and my sleep changed. So when I was tired, um, I was out like a light and I slept like a log. But what mm. was phenomenal is when I woke up, um, I'm someone that I can lie in bed for hours. Like I'm, I'm a nightmare trying to get up. But mm. on the wild food diet, I was up and I was alert and I was ready to go. Um, I had a lot less brain fog than I normally experienced. I felt sharper. Energy levels were good. Overall, felt felt pretty healthy. It's funny because there's um, your back. It was when I first recorded the podcast. So it was probably on like episode three or something. I had a blacksmith on and he'd lived on a Viking diet. Um. It was in the build-up to an event, I think, and he wanted to have the physique of a blacksmith from the time. So he was trying to, like, eat their food. And he said something similar. It was like his energy levels throughout the day were really level, but as soon as he finished work, he'd just crash and fall asleep. Yeah. I remember you talking about him, and I think I've seen a little of what he's done. Like, I admire the commitment and massive mm. respect to him, but I think that might be a carb thing i mean i'm not an expert i'm yeah. i'm just i'm not even setting this thing up i'm just a happy little guinea pig stuffing her face on wild food but um i have noticed 
much better energy levels when I have less carbs. And certainly in nature, you know, we need either the carbs or the fat to burn and, and we need the protein as well to build muscle. Mm. But the carbs, although they're more reliable to get, it takes a lot of processing normally. So like making yeah. my acorn flour so that it's got as much nutrients as possible and so I can get acorn starch, you know that's a good couple of weeks. Um, you know, even collecting the nuts and, and sorting through them and processing them. And mm. they have less carbohydrates that are readily accessible than what we buy in the shops. So I do I do wonder about the interaction with like an overload of carbs. I don't know. Um yeah. but I'm I think I'm all for the sort of high protein, low carb diet now. I think that's confirmed it a little bit. Um you said and, initially you were trying to lose weight. So did you find you did lose weight on the diet? So initially I was it wasn't so much that I was trying to lose weight. I anticipated that I would. So the week yeah. before I have like had a big dirty like takeaway. It's brilliant. <laughs> um uh and I I did, but not a lot. And mm. by the end of the month it leveled out. So I think it was about four pounds. Um, but towards the end I was kind of back up to normal. Um mm. I think I probably lost um muscle mass and muscle tone because I'm normally quite active and normally hiking but between doing a full-time job and doing the wild biome project um and foraging isn't exactly a fast-paced thing to do uh, there yeah. wasn't really time to be so physically active so I think I definitely became gatherer rather than hunter because uh, essentially it was a hunter-gatherer diet that we were kind of doing here um and it's it's the first um what I should have said earlier on is it seems to be the first study of an indigenous diet, I think in Europe. Um we've had these studies in other parts of the world, but mm. opportunity in in Europe's quite low because we've moved so far away um from that from that lifestyle. Although we have cultures with big foraging aspect to them, farming is such a huge part of part of things too. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, so you sort of alluded that you didn't really miss coffee. Did you miss anything else? Well, I'll be honest on the coffee front. I I did mm. two interviews during this time period. Um yeah. one was with um some quite high some very impressive people, I must say. I'm very lucky. And yeah. I really wanted coffee before that just out of the habit and just to have like the yeah. relax and have it in my hands so I made a big green smoothie instead out of nettles and wild mints and stuff and that did the energizing kick um mm. but honestly no no real cravings um what did happen though is when so I had to unfortunately I had to leave just a little bit early because um I had a big team selection event to go to where we were all going to eat the same stuff together and I had to go on medication to sort out shoulder injury, um, which would have messed up the gut bacteria. Yeah. Um, but coming off was absolute hell. Um that was actually going to be my next question was whether you went to a cold turkey the other way and just straight back to a modern diet. Oh my god, it was awful. So I was wanting to keep it like 
protein and stuff. Um, yeah. Because I was going away to this team selection, I had to just eat what other people were eating. Uh, I came off a couple of days before that. We were hooked up um, to a permanent blood sugar monitor um, yeah. at the start and the end, uh, which was provided by Zoe um, and connected to something called the Libra app. When I came off the wild food diet, I had like these tiny little, they were like gyozas, I think, or I can't remember. No, they were empanadas and hardly anything else at a friend's. And Mm. uh, my blood sugar uh, for about 72 hours was dropping down to 2.4 on a cycle, Mm. which which is like nearly phoning to go to hospital, though it was horrific. And um, then it all leveled out. And then um, maybe two weeks back on normal food, all the cravings for all the bad stuff came back with a vent. Like I was wanting sugar, I was wanting chocolate, I was wanting booze. And 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 I seemed to like, I couldn't just have a little bit. I was absolutely yeah. cramping in and the carbs and pizzas. Oh, pizzas are my downfall. Um, and cheese, I anticipated missing cheese and dairy when I was on um, the Wild Biome project. Um, oh, do you know, I didn't even consider dairy. Oh, my God. About wild food, yeah. I think a lot of us were more worried about missing dairy than chocolate and booze. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, that's like, tough, no actually. Cheese, no yogurts, no whatever. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's just really curious that when you start having a little bit, Suddenly, you wanted more, and I don't know if that's certain bacteria re-establishing colonies in the gut or whatever. I don't know. Like I say, mm. I'm not a scientist; I'm just a guinea pig. But it's interesting. Did they carry and, on? Sorry, but if you were like hooked up the whole time and they were measuring your blood sugar and stuff, did they carry on after you stopped, or did it just stop with the with the testing? Yeah, I'm so, just wondering whether they would notice the effect as you went back onto a modern diet. Yeah, so the blood sugar monitor, I think we we had at the start for a couple of weeks and then we had at the end. So it got us going in and coming out. Yeah, yeah um, okay. Because I left a little bit early, I'm not so sure. And we had other tests as yeah. well. I'll save you the gory details of those ones. <laughs> and I've I've never had to um, try and get so much blood out of my fingers before. I've, I've bleeding all over the place just trying to fill these vials of blood at home looked like a crime scene i guess you wouldn't have had any chance because i had another question but i guess you wouldn't have had any chances to cheat because they would have noticed right that's it and Mm. i would have been so disappointed in myself but yeah yeah, because like we were providing samples and stuff like that and they were looking at the bacteria and you can look at the sort of bacteria that develops in relation to sugar um i think it's a candida bacteria like quite specific there was no no getting away with it and also we, we were keeping very strict um data recordings of of what we were doing as well um which was quite a lot of work recording everything um that we collected so yeah no chance no chance of cheating I'd love uh, to do <laughs> would you do you know if they're um, planning to i think it's a watch this space one um mm. And I think it would also, for me, it would depend what I'm doing next year. Because um, yeah. I had a seasonal job this year and I was moved locations. 
And the location I was moved to was off of a fantastic nature reserve to another site much further away with less fantastic foraging and mm. a longer commute. And honestly, that was the biggest challenge. It wasn't finding things to eat. It wasn't processing things. It was finding time in and around the daily ground of, of life. Mm. To be honest. So yeah. if I had time, I'd definitely do it. And I'd like to do my own version. Um, I'd like to do it for longer because I'm obviously some sort of masochist. Um, but I'd like to really go back to the Mesolithic with it. And yeah, yeah, yeah this is, is a bit of a dream. So if there's any producers out there or anything like that that are curious, I want to take um, living off the land back to the Mesolithic using mesolithic hunter-gatherer cooking techniques and not using fridges and freezers and and really go for it but for that it would be a full-time commitment for a couple of months yeah. or something you yeah. know but I think that would be fascinating because <clears throat> outside of the medical study to eat essentially what our ancestors in this land were eating I can't imagine a greater connection to the past really mm. and there's a sense of identity in that, I think, as well, or maybe there was for me, and just that opportunity to connect to nature in another way, you know, at a deeper level is fantastic. It's very, very fulfilling. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. very sort of, uh, that's the light overall version of it, to be honest with you. I really, really could go on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've said to you before, you need to write a book because you do so many different projects and I hear little <laughs> snippets from you and yeah, it could be so much more. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, one day I'll stick to one project. There's like, <laughs> been on the go for years. But right is the spice of life, right? However, the foraging yeah. thing, I don't think you can turn it off. You know, mm. you'd probably agree, right? Like you go out for a walk and you see a plant that you know and you could like I, I it just doesn't go off ever. Yeah, I guess it yeah, it sort of becomes natural to oh what's that or oh, what's this? Even the habit we've got into with my daughter, if you're walking and you see something you don't recognise, is then trying to find out what it is and maybe does it have any uses or you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love about this world. That's what I love about foraging is everything has a use, um, even if it's used to poison someone. <laughs> even poisonous plants are normally some sort of beautiful dye plant or something like that. And yeah. I love that you could never master this world. You couldn't actually be an expert on it. Although there's people with lots of experience, if, nobody can know it all. It's so vast. So you're just constantly discovering and exploring and being creative. And, and I love that. It's just, it seems to be never ending. Um, mm. It's It might be a bit challenging. You you know where I'm going to uh, next month. Yeah. It'll yeah. be interesting to see if I can um, turn it off <laughs> when I'm over there. I think I'll be kind of busy with other things. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'll be kept occupied. <laughs> I wouldn't worry yeah, about that. Definitely. Yeah, which I'm guessing we can't really talk about that right now. Um, 
I don't mind. I've not announced it on the Wildcat page um, yet. This but... will go out in a couple of weeks. So if yeah. that... So I probably will have, in which case I'd love to talk about it if you don't yeah. mind. No, absolutely, That's... yeah. Um, so it I was might... on my list, but I didn't know if you'd want to want to discuss it or not, or if it was still under wraps. But yeah, let's... yeah. Oh, we've alluded to it now, so we're going to have to tell people. Yeah, so um, have to what tell... is it you're doing? See, you can see why I wouldn't be a very good spy, right? <laughs> um, I should probably stop saying that in the context of what I'm about to talk about. I was going to say, with what you're about to say, yeah. <laughs> That's, uh... um, so I'm very, very lucky. I've been accepted uh, onto a volunteer placement with Breaking the Chains um, to go over to the Ukraine and work in one of their animal shelters. Um, it's a fantastic organisation. Uh very impressive person called Tom set up there's equally mm. impressive people supporting it um, and they have a, a tactical animal rescue unit um, since things kicked off in the Ukraine they've been going out to um, conflict areas and trying to rescue as many animals as they can now yeah. that it's harder to get those animals out of the Ukraine um, they've built a shelter and um, they're, they're looking for people to go and help out so um, although I run Wildcat Foraging and that's a big part of my life, the other huge part of my life has always been animal welfare and wilderness conservation. And, um, you know, I, I, have a, I have a background in expeditions and, and animal rescue and, and stuff like that. So it will be very, very lovely to get the opportunity to apply myself to a project as fulfilling and important as this. Even if I'm just spending a month picking up dog poo, don't care. It'll be <laughs> lovely. But as I'm picking up dog poo, I'll probably be going, oh, is that pineapple weed over there? Or oh, look at look at this interesting plant. I wonder what that is. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> making a joke of it, but it's extreme foraging. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'll live off of wild food for a month and then I'll go away and no, it, it won't be extreme foraging. Yeah. I think there'll be a little break and there'll be a wee break in wild cat foraging, but yeah, I'd love to use that pl platform to share this other site that I'm doing as well. And hopefully people will be interested and show a little bit of support. So you're from your perspective, because I don't know an awful lot about this, so you're not going into the conflict zone itself. No, I'm not. Um, so they won't they won't take civilians on for that, yeah. as far as I'm aware. Um, although I, I have my own past. Um, the last thing they need is anyone. I think that could be a liability. So having people they know is are trained up in that environment, I think, is very important. Yeah. Um, the even if it was an option, although that's something I would love to do. Mm. Um, my mum's already had one heart attack this year. <laughs> mm. I don't think she needs another. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, out of, out of respect for her. So, Yeah, so you'll be in a different area, but still in Ukraine. Yeah, I'll be in the Ukraine. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't even say exactly where I'll be. because No, that's fair enough. Know. Yeah. And even if you did, you probably couldn't tell me because you're a spy. <laughs> Clearly, we shouldn't clearly. say that because <laughs> the wrong people could be so <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah so when do you when do you go out or can you not say that either <laughs> so i'm still sorting out the logistics at okay. the moment 
Um, I've just finished up this day job I took on um, yeah. and wrapping a few things up with Wildcat Foraging that I need to finish. Um, people will have noticed Wildcat Foraging's gone a little bit quiet. It's it's just because I've been very, very busy. I've been doing a lot of historical foraging workshops um, mm. this year as well. and, and uh, Which I'm glad to see. Uh, thank you. Well, we spoke in- about it a lot. Yeah. I know there was hesitancy for a while because you weren't sure about logistics and stuff. So I'm glad it's sort of working out for you. Business. I'm not a businesswoman. That's the thing. It scares me. But no, it's it's been really lovely. Yeah. It's been really lovely to be involved. It's been a very, very busy summer. A lot of talking to people about history and foraging. So having yeah. a little break, not talking other than to yourself. <laughs> but the other... I was going to say, I'm, you know, I'm not the only one that's got travelling on the mind. You've just come back from a pretty epic trip, haven't you? Oh, we're turning the tables now, are we? I had one more thing I wanted to talk to you about before we move on to me, if you don't mind. I don't mind. I thought that was a lovely little segue there. It's perfect, perfect segue. (laughs) But I was, there was one more thing, because I don't think it had happened when we last spoke was that you did a little TV film project with our mate Hamish. Oh yeah. Sorry. That's... You forgot. <laughs> I was like, well, I was thinking, did I imagine project. that? <laughs> yeah, no, there was going to be um, filming with the wild biome project, but um, I had to sacrifice that to go away to this team selection for the job. I can't talk about. Um, yeah. no, this was more yeah. a documentary on. Picks. Yeah, it was really good fun. It was really, it was really good fun. So we filmed it last year, um, and and some very snowy, very cold weather. Um, yeah. I was staying at Hamish's in my car, and I woke up one morning and it was a snowball, <laughs> and they thought they were gonna have to dig me out. Um, it was it was great fun. Uh, I hate seeing myself on camera sometimes, funnily enough, but I love being a part of everything. Um, yeah. And it was for a documentary series on Sky called Ancient Murder Mysteries. Mm. Um, Catch your title. Yeah. I I don't know if it was always going to be that title or not. Um, And I got to play a pict that may or may not have caved someone's skull in. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So give it a watch. Check it out on Sky History Channels, I think it is. I don't know. I've not got Sky. Um, And what I got really... Yeah. What I got really excited about on set, I mean, it was great, it was fun, I got to fight as a pict, I got to hang out with some cool friends and reenactors, and always love hanging out with Hamish, she's great. Yeah. <laughs> but whilst they were filming, I discovered that there was Alexanders growing by the caves that we were filming at. I was just like squealing with delight because they don't grow down here. And I was spending all my spare time just photographing these Alexanders and foraging them. <laughs> So I don't know that my priorities were quite right on the day. <laughs> ah, there's a lot of waiting around when you film stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was a really lovely crew as well. Really nice crew. Um, yeah. All dense productions. Highly recommend working with them. Ooh. There you go. Oh. We've shoehorned that bit in as well. Because I can't <laughs> remember. We might have even mentioned it on the last episode if you did it last year. But I had a feeling we hadn't. Well, it certainly um, hadn't been aired. Yeah. It got aired, I think it got aired in May. I don't know. May was mental. May was wild biome recruitment. It was, 
Yeah, filming. it was around the same time because I did something for Channel 5 and they went out within like a week of each other for some weird reason. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Not that we're competing. <laughs> Never competing. No. Always supporting. I don't think I could. Maybe one day we'll do some filming together. Maybe one day we'll do yeah. a podcast together. And cause in I, person. I, in person. <laughs> I've seen all these podcasts that you've done where you've mm. fed people and I'm like, when's it my turn? <laughs> <laughs> yes yes at some point we will because it's the strange thing is we've never actually met honestly <laughs> we must have been at, met in passing at some viking show in the distant past surely i don't know i've not hmm? been in the like that long really if you take I out the covid been. years it's not five six years yeah i guess we got chatting over social media then way I don't know I don't even remember I hope that's not insulting but I'm very glad we did and you've been so supportive you've been really encouraging as well we're all here to help each other Mm -hmm. Mm. just trying to get folk together when they do work and reenactment and business and stuff is quite challenging but it will happen probably not to them back from the Ukraine but um yeah, they're also it opposite ends of the country, so it's yeah, but there's always, not easy. There's always a kettle on the go for a brew if you are ever passing by. We may well be next year. I want to come up to Scotland. Yeah, well, I know some great like secretive spots in Scotland, so I'll get a map out and show you all these little bits. Yeah, because we've got to head up to Moorforge because doing another course with Hamish. Yay! When's that? Uh, that'll be Easter, so I'm thinking maybe either the week before or after is to take a bit of time. So actually go past Moorforge up into Scotland and then come back down for the course sort of on the way home or something. I don't know. Or, yeah, depends which way around we do it. Well, get in touch. See if we can sort something. Yeah. So speaking of trips. Speaking of trips. Speaking of trips, what about your recent trip? How was it? So I'm still processing, to be honest. So even like today, I was I was trying to find a picture of something, and I was scrolling back through all the Google Photos, and I was like, I'd forgotten we did that. Oh, I've forgotten this because we did. Honestly, it sounds I don't know like a boast or a brag, but we did so much in three weeks. It's ridiculous. Is that all it was? Three weeks? Mm. Like I know that's a long time, but the amount of stuff I saw appearing on social media that you were doing. You pack it in, don't you? It was months of planning. So then it was just like, logistically, just everything almost made sense because you're just like, well, we're going to here and we're going to spend two days there. And then you do that and go, right, so what's next? And you already knew because we had like stops planned and everything. Um, I don't know how much detail you want. I can go from the beginning if you like. Did anything disrupt those plans? That's what I'm curious about. Yes. A little bit, yeah. Um, so about so very, very quickly for anyone that doesn't know yet, I guess is that we drove up to Norway. Round trip is about two thousand six hundred miles. Um, so we did ferry to France, drove to Belgium, stopped for a night in Belgium, just modern campsite. Uh, that was a bit of a nightmare, but we'll. Move on from that one. Um, so we went to another site called Prehistoric Dorp, which is in the Netherlands. Mm, um, yeah, and that's a really nice site. They've got uh, 
Viking Age house, but it's like Frankish. So it's a completely different style, really wealthy sort of status site. Um, but they've also got some later stuff. So we had dinner in the 14th century with a lady that's um, spent, at that point, she'd been a month living in the 14th century. Wow. Um, and she had another month to go. And so obviously there's a podcast coming at some point with her where we talk about that. Um, yeah, recorded a few bits and we went up to Denmark. So this is where the plans change. So that's speeding along quickly. But um, we drove up and I guess I'm an idiot. But as we were driving along, I saw we were looking at Google Maps all the time for stuff to do. And we saw this museum pop up, Hatherboo. Yeah. Well, I'd never realised that Hatherboo was Hedderby. Oh. So we almost drove past it, and it was like <gasps> pretty much on the road. Oh, that would and be such. Then... So we went there. We went there. Thank and goodness. We'd stopped. Imagine. Yeah. Oh. But we'd driven up from the Netherlands, so we'd driven probably five and a half hours to get there from the Netherlands that day, wow. which is one of the longer drives we did because mostly we tried to break it up into. Short a bit, it's got a six-year-old, so you don't want to go too far in a in a day. Um, so yeah, so that that disrupted our plans because we're like, well, we weren't gonna go there. So we had what was quite a flying visit. We're gonna have to go back to Hatherboo. But luckily we stopped because what it turned out, so our stop that day was supposed to be Reba in Denmark. Right. So we're like, yeah. we're gonna stop at Hatherboo, and it's like I think another hour or so up to Reba. It's not far. Um, but as we got back in the van, got a message from the people we were meeting to say that the storm had hit Reba. Oh. The tents were falling down and people were moving into the buildings. Oh. So so that disrupted those plans. Um, but luckily, they live just over the border. Oh, okay. Um, so we actually went to stay at their house for the night. Oh, lovely. And um, so... Um, they're, I don't know if you follow them on Facebook and Instagram. They're called Viking Clan Zebits. Zebits, I think it is. I always get it wrong. I have done, yeah. I don't think I could spell it, uh, but... Yeah. Oh, okay. so, so, yeah, they messaged to say that. And funnily enough, so uh, it's a family, but uh, the people we stayed with was uh, Christian and Sarah. So he's Danish, she's English. Okay. So yeah, so she cooked us some um, uh, yeah corned beef hash, um, and yeah, bed and a shower was nice after camping for so many days. And driving for a long time as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, so from their house it was like another forty-five minutes to Rebus. So we did that the next day. Um, it was still quite windy, to gather it always is there. So we moved into the main longhouse and we stayed in the longhouse for a couple of days, which was that's cool. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really nice site. I definitely want to go back. I mean, it's not not that far. You could almost drive from here to there in one go if you were inclined. Like it's not a crazy distance. Europe does there's such good open air museums there. There is here too. Mm don't seem yeah. to hear about them as much so when you discover them they're magical but there's some great ones over there i had to my main question today was um after seeing uh the video of the different photos you posted of the thrones yeah. what was your and your daughter's favorite throne oh well i can't mm -hmm. answer for her because she's 
in bed so oh i'd have to look at the pictures quickly and and decide because that was a nice um, it was it was i mean just having a look at the video quickly because some of them were just chairs and she'd run over and go daddy it's a throne let's take a picture and i was like it, that, that's a chair but okay <laughs> oh. Uh, Did she have a great trip? Yes, yes. She's, she wants to go back next year. Uh, I mean, I'd probably say the Midgard block throne, which, because why not? It's massive. You can fit a family on it. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know about Ocean. Um, I'd have to ask her. Uh, yeah, so uh, there is one other kind of, because you said about things that disrupted the trip. So if you like, I'll speed through a little bit. <laughs> so we left Reba, uh, and we drove east across Denmark, sort of across the bridges and stuff. Stopped at a few sites as well as we were going that way. It'd be rude not to. Uh, in fact, we we stayed in a modern campsite by um, Roskilde Ship Museum. Oh, I love it. There. Um, yeah. So we stayed in a modern campsite just across the water from there. And then the next day we got a bus and a train and we went into Copenhagen to the National Museum. Which... Was, it... Huh? Was it good? Oh, yes, yes. And again, I mean, with a six-year-old... We couldn't spend too long in there, but we did see things like the Gunderstrop cauldron. Is that where the cauldron was? Because yes. I have adored that cauldron. And to be honest, the sort of iconography on it and everything as well, since I was... I'm such quite a, quite a yeah. fan. <laughs> it's one too. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, that must have yes. been a bit of a moment when it was there. Yeah. And it's the way they've lit it up as well. So it's just like golden as you go into the room. And yeah. Um, but that, so yeah, so at that point, actually, so we started to veer in our interest, both I think my wife would probably agree with me. And we started to be, oh, the Bronze Ages. <laughs> yeah. Looking pretty good. Um, but yeah, when, when so when we left there, the other thing that I was going to say that disrupted the plans was um, we drove across the bridge that goes to Sweden. Um, and we were supposed to drive um, up the West Coast and go camping just above Gothenburg. Right. Um, but we looked at the weather app and there were thunderstorms. So I thought, oh. I haven't been on the road for a week and a half. I was like, it's a bit cheeky, but should we book a hotel? So we did. Now, nice. the hotel was just at the bottom end of Gothenburg, which bought us some time to go to another museum, because what else were we going to do? <laughs> but it, it's kind of um, bittersweet, really. So we went to um, the Fotbicken Museum. Oh, okay. Um, so it's kind of, as you come across the bridge, it's just tucked down probably 10, 15 minutes from the bridge. So we're like, well... We didn't have time to go there when we were camping because the campsite was shut at a certain time. But because we were going to a hotel, we bought some time. So we went to this museum, which was great. But then we had lunch in the museum. And I'll, I'll 
quickly say that this is of no fault of the museum. But my wife had a reaction to something that she ate in the museum. Oh, there's nothing worse when you're traveling. Oh, your poor wife. She got a dairy allergy and she reacted. And to be honest, it's happened before. Um, and she was about to eat something. And I said, did you check there's milk in it? And she said, no, there won't be milk in this. Okay, fine. And now the normal reaction is she runs to the toilet. She throws up. She doesn't feel great, but that's kind of the worst of it. As long as it's not in large quantities, but, you know, like whey powder type stuff. Mm. It's not not too severe. But on this occasion, she was just kind of getting worse and worse. Oh, no. Um, so that was when we got to speak to the ambulance service in Sweden. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. Well, obviously, yeah. she's all right because, you know, he's carried on your trip and she's back. But, oh, what yeah, That would be a hell of a spoiler, wouldn't it? So, oh yeah, God. so she died, but we carried on. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, she, yeah, so um, actually the museum gave her a tablet first and that didn't do a lot. And then we were going to drive to the hospital. And then she was saying she couldn't breathe, she's going to pass out. And we're like, we're 20 minutes from the hospital. She called an ambulance. I even had to like flag down some people to work out exactly where we were to let the ambulance people come. Yeah. Um, which pretty scary stuff at the time. And, you know, she's going, when are they coming? When are they coming? I was like, well, I phoned them. Like, <sighs> there's nothing I could do at this point. Trying to, and, and trying to be watching um, that. Oh, well done for getting through that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so ambulance service, really good as well. As I say, <laughs> not a fault of the museum. I don't want anyone to think it was. Yeah. But, you know, they weren't even asked about allergens and stuff. So it's not, not down to this. One of those things. Um, but it turns out they put milk in pretty much everything in Sweden, which is Okay. So something to do <laughs> for people going to Sweden with dairy allergies. Yeah. Milk so everything. we learned. Yeah. Okay. Um uh, yeah, so on the ambulance, they gave her like a steroid to try and sort it out. And she, she recovered because she was kind of, I don't know. I mean, what we would call in English, like scatty. Like right. she just wasn't, wasn't. Herself. Wasn't, yeah, she just wasn't talking clearly or anything. And then you could see she went in the ambulance. I was with Ocean. And then after a while, they called us over and it's like, oh, hang on. She's back. It was the first thing I said. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you're you're back with us. Um, so your trip was definitely an adventure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then yeah, so then we we luckily didn't have too far to go. We went up to this hotel, and spent night in the hotel, and did a couple of days camping. Glad. I bet you were it glad it was needed. Yeah. yeah. So after what had happened, camping wouldn't have been a good idea. But then if we'd gone camping, we probably wouldn't have gone to the museum, and it wouldn't have happened. It's like a weird. You can't call it as long yeah. as everyone's okay. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, because we say we fell in love with like the Bronze Age, back to history. So we we ended up going to see a lot of um rock carvings oh, in wow. Tannum in Sweden. Um, and What's yeah, so like? it's just an amazing sight. Um, there there was a few within ten minutes of where we were camped. Oh. We spent an entire day just going, right, we're going to drive to that site. We're going to go for a walk through the woods, see these 
rock carvings, get back in the car, right? We've got to go five minutes that way now. And then we'll do some more. Um, I'd love amazing. to sit down and like get suggestions off you and put them in a map because especially for the, as much as I love being a Viking in that, Bronze Age stuff or Mesolithic mm. or, you know, sort of Bronze Age going back, that's my, that's my thing, man. So this makes yeah. me very excited. <laughs> Yeah, so we, yeah, we've sort of been caught by the bug a little bit, I suppose, with the Bronze Age. Bronze Age bug. It's funny, actually, because there's a couple of places that we visited over the whole trip where, like, I'm not, I don't say spiritual or that way inclined, but certain places just feel different. It's like a hard thing to, like... It's a hard thing to explain, but just certain sites. You go to some sites and just be like, yeah, this is a nice place. But other places, you just go, no, there's something about this place. Yeah. Um, It feels, I suppose, significant in some way. I don't know. It's really bizarre. Even down to on the road trip back, and we stopped at a modern campsite in France, and we went to the beach, and it felt just wrong. It's like a oh. bad energy, and we're just like... It doesn't feel good. We're not going to stay here. Ah. I wonder oh. if it would have felt that way on the way, like, over on your trip rather than on the way back. If being in all these places that yeah. felt really good to you made that feel even more not good or something. I don't know. I know. I yeah, I don't know. It's strange. I do Whether get... it's just... Yeah. When a place, I'm going to say, resonates with yeah. you, I think... People are more comfortable with that word than spiritual movie. I don't know. Like it comes with less connotations, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I do get when you get that feeling and somewhere resonates with you. Yeah. And see, when I'm foraging, if I'm foraging in a place that's like that, that just mm. it can be for really special and like really grounded and really calm and experience. Sorry, I'm interrupting. I'm getting excited. No, about no, what it's a conversation. Stuff. Yeah. In fact, so yeah, so actually you've made me think though, is that whilst we were going around looking at all the um rock carvings, I, I keep calling them rock cavings. <laughs> and like <laughs> like some weird mix it up of painting and cave yeah, carvings. I don't know. Um but yeah I, I, you were saying earlier about not being able to switch off foraging. And so we're going around like, oh, it's got some bilberries over here. <laughs> and, oh, really? Um, yeah. And there's a, there's a few other bits. There's juniper growing everywhere. And and so like a few of these and a few of these. <laughs> yes. um, juniper. Oh, what's the other one that uh, grows over there? Uh, lingonberry? Yes, lingonberry. That's it. Which I've never seen growing anywhere. It grows in Scotland. Mm. And I collect it each year yeah from a special secret place yeah more secret spy secret scotland stuff <laughs> it's lovely but they, they really grow in abundance over there don't they it's fantastic it it's like a carpet just mm. mixture of those and yeah like bilberries or i don't know if they're bilberries or just like a wild blueberry it's sort of blueberry yeah, yeah. Oh, something Scottish. in that that it's not something again. We don't come across them here, so it's just like, ooh. <laughs> you don't have you don't have blueberries and bilberries down by no. you. Oh my goodness! You need to come and visit at the right <laughs> time of the year, and I'll just take you yeah. to the berries <laughs> land of the mountain berries. I love them. 
when I'm doing so, obviously I'm quite into my Munros and into mm. my hiking things and going wild. And um, sorry, I'm digressing, but that's fine. Mountain berries. The last Munro I did, I was just like stuffing my face with berries on the way up. I swear they just gave me this mental energy boost. Um, mm. It was fantastic. And it was like blueberries and there was um, cranberries and lingonberries and salmonberry and well, kind of the same thing and crowberry. And it was just like, oh, and there's a wee book. Well, it's not a wee book. There's a big um, uh, series of books that I read as a teenager um, called The Tales of Thomas Covenant. Mm. Um, very dark fantasy books. Love them. And in that, there's a berry called the Aliantha berry. I think it's called and um travelers used to have that and it would give them this boost of energy so i think like our native blueberries because they grow up the mountains they kind of they just give you this boost and they always seem sweeter the higher up you go and i don't know if that's yeah. just like because you're just more desperate for them or what but lack of oxygen <laughs> yeah, who yeah. knows or maybe they get more exposure yeah. to something i don't know but yeah that brought up a question I kind of had as well when you were talking about the berries that you noticed as you were going around these sites. So yeah. I know you started to tell more about your journey, but yeah, is there any sort of recipes or food you want to recreate from your travels or um, or try and make as a celebration of the places you've been or anything like that? That is a good question. So... <sighs> I'd say the most, probably the most interesting thing we had was a uh, horse, it was Royal Horse Broth, oh. which was uh, based on a Daniel Sira recipe. Um, and we don't obviously eat horse in the UK normally. Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I don't. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't even know if I could get it. I could, I could probably try, but that would be, that was a really nice recipe. It's really nice meat. Um so that would be a nice one to try again. Um, I mean, the, the main thing about food was noticing the lack of certain things because you get used to what you can get here. Yeah. And what you could get pretty much on the whole journey was so different to what we used to. Like the minute that we hit the continent, I couldn't find barley. Interesting, really? Yeah. Yeah, and that shocked me because like you're like this is like the most common Viking Age grain. It's everywhere. Yeah. And yet once you leave here, and obviously we only get pearl barley normally. Um but the nearest we found was in Norway after some searching, we found something which it looked like bulgur wheat. Okay. Um, and we assume it was a cracked barley. Um so it was like a quick cook thing like a yeah. boiled in the bag almost job uh, called Big, B-Y-G-G. I've had that before. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. It's like, it's, yeah, okay. They have that in the Baltics as well. Mm. I quite liked it. Okay. It was nice. But yeah, it, when I was thinking, okay, I'm going to make uh, cheesy barley or something. Nope, <laughs> not going to do that. Um, and like in Denmark, your vegetables are a lot more seasonal. You can only get stuff that's growing at that time whereas we used to get in stuff whenever in this country um so yeah so and it's it has made me kind of yeah i need to do a lot more thinking about it but this it kind of changes your perspective about food because if food is so different now 
Mm. Yeah, and then a thousand years ago, like to us, a trip to Norway is nothing, but that's huge back then. And it's like, <clears throat> yeah, and yeah, I wonder how much of it is is like the economics of the supermarkets, though. I find it quite mm. interesting, especially off the back of the Wild Biome Project, that although it appears we've got loads of variety in the supermarkets yeah. we go in there's all these different things most of what we eat boil down to some form of white flour or white yeah. rice in a million different forms um some form of meat protein and mm. dairy but like it's just it's the same stuff masquerading as something else whereas our native larder out there you know mm. even an hour out the back of my house the variety of nutrients that I'm collecting in say 10 different species and it's easy to do probably um, is a lot higher than in 10 different items out of the supermarket and mm. imagine back in the day a thousand years ago or whatever although there are different species like you say the lingonberry is more common um, mm. over, over in, in Scandinavia um, I actually wonder if the difference in some ways would be less, although there are a few different species. Um, there's like a lot of, you know, there's a lot of crossover in the, in the mushroom world of what we yeah. have. And there are a lot of the same plant species and there would have been a lot more variety of species available. So maybe the differences stand out less. I don't know if that makes any sense what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah, yeah. And the seasonality thing is interesting and important. And mm. how many nutrients and vitamins can there be when you've bought like something that was grown in South America and then shipped over to Asia to be packaged and then came over here and has been stored in some sort of gas so that it looks half healthy and mm. like the 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 thing sorry, I keep hopping back to the Wild Biome project, but the thing people noticed yeah. as well was um they were tending to have smaller meals, although there might be a big slab of protein in there. And yeah. can't help but wonder if that's just because the what they were having had more stuff in them, more nutrients, more just good. Yeah, it's more satisfying, I guess, or filling. Yeah. 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 So, anyway. I'd yeah. be very curious to see, though, if you did cook something from your travels without milk, probably. Uh, <laughs> Maybe not yeah, the, that particular dish. No. The horse broth had cheese in it. So actually, um, we would cook two different dishes. There was one that was like a honey and mustard sauce for the horse. That was good too. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's any... it's just... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, did you have any really challenging foods when you were out there? Not particularly. I think my wife Definitely. struggled a bit with the horse. Right, okay. Yeah. The idea of that one. Um, but I was okay with that. Um we didn't really. No. No. And I did have plans. I'd I'd said that I was gonna I wanted to do the best and worst foods from each country. But that's easier right. said than done, unless you've um, got someone to meet up with that's a local. You almost need to get someone that lives there that can prepare yeah. you the food and say, this is the best from our country, this is the worst, okay, we'll try them. But to do it as part of a road trip on your own or with your family is almost impossible, I think. So for the next dedicated foodie road trip, 
I mean, again, if someone wants to pay for a trip to go back, <laughs> that'd be awesome. That'd be quite cost something. cost more than we were planning, so uh, yeah, oh. it would be good to do it again. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's most of the trip, to be honest. Because we got from Sweden was where I left you, and then we finished the journey at Midgars Block, which is in Border, um, just south of Oslo, and we spent. And five or six days at the metal festival which was a lot of fun awesome and what like what adventure for a six-year-old as well like that's got to be the yeah. coolest right yeah yeah she really enjoyed it. i mean she was trying to like stay up all night and stuff at the festival it's like got upset if she would get to one o'clock in the morning and pass out and be like i will asleep and there's a what? really funny bit <laughs> we're, we're watching this um black metal band uh they're native american i think um called mm-hmm. black braid i don't know a lot about them but we, we were watching them and she was just kind of sat on my lap as you do you're in a field <laughs> it's getting quite late and she's just turned around to me like, daddy i think i just fell asleep for a second there oh <laughs> <laughs> it's like <laughs> you're watching native american black metal and you fell asleep <laughs> wow. oh it was funny um yeah but then i i had so many guests planned to record with at that festival that just it fell through just it was too hectic and noisy and too much going on i tried to record a couple of things i went to a meat tasting event oh and, and the guy was really interesting and talked about a lot of stuff that we haven't covered on the podcast before because it was more norwegian mead focused and and where they come from but it just the audio just didn't come out clearly enough there was just too much background noise so i'm going to try and get him to do it on zoom oh that would be brilliant i'll look out for that one yeah yeah um i did record one which is a bit noisy but i've i've decided it's acceptable with a guy called trond and i'm not going to pronounce the company's name because norwegian and i'm not very good (laughs) but um Basically, they there's it's almost like a chef's association, um, and they're about training young people and bringing young people into the industry, um, but yeah, so there's a podcast that people will catch at some point. He'll explain it way better than I can. But the different things they do within this organization, and they cook food at the festival, and it is the best festival food you'll ever eat. Can you imagine like training up, and you get to go to that festival? how cool would that be i'm kind of glad like that you weren't recording the whole time so that you got to enjoy like just enjoy it as well yeah so cool and and ah can't wait to hear more when did you sleep (laughs) did you just fall over as soon as you got home because honestly it just seems like a very full very exciting interesting adventurous three weeks it is, but then if you're thinking that you need to get to a certain campsite on a certain day and be set up or you spend two days there, you've got a couple of days to get decent night's rest. Um, so we we slept enough. The only time we probably didn't was at the festival, which is loud. Yeah, understandable, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, for the rest of the journey, not much really... We did stop at a couple of small sites in Denmark on the way back and nice campsites. Um, 
kind of uh, we stayed in a campsite in Germany, which was really nice, and it kind of made us want to look around like the Black Forest and stuff. And oh, lovely! Uh, maybe try and take a trip out there at some point because mm. that's beautiful around there. Yeah, um, I've only been to the Black Forest once. And it was gorgeous. Mm. So how did um, it feel when you came home? Were you glad to get home, or were you itching to get on the road again? I would have liked to have stayed longer. Mm. But uh, Emma and Ocean were ready to come home. Mm. My plan originally was to go as far as Lofferton. Oh, that would have been quite something. But what a thing to have to go back for. Yes. But the problem is you can't just go, well, we've done that bit, so let's start from there next time. Yeah. You want to well, start could... from Bora and go north, but... I guess you'd have to fly in and hire from like Bergen. Yes. yes. But uh, my wife doesn't fly, so. Oh, well then, yeah, you can't start part way up. Cruise, cruise. <laughs> that would be all you <laughs> gone right there. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I've been told by a few sources that they're reopening the ferry from Newcastle to Bergen in 2025. I've heard the same thing from someone that works on the ferries. So that's okay. as one sources. So, so that sounds. For a second there, I was going to say, "Are you sure you didn't hear it from me?" Because no, I heard we're it spreading from our own rumor. <laughs> no, I, I heard it from someone that um, they actually they work for Hurtigruten, um, yeah. but they live in Newcastle, and they were just thinking for their own trip, mm. not working on the ships. So mm. yeah, they said it looks like that's going to happen. That would be but good. They, I mean, it's quite a long ride still, though, isn't it? It's like... Bergen's gorgeous, though. I would like to go there, yeah. Bergen. Yeah. I actually, the first time I went to Bergen was I went and Hamish was over there, um, like, whooping around Norway, and he was staying south of Bergen. Um, so I went over and stayed with mm. them so I've got Hamish to thank for me going over there and discovering Bergen and Bricken. It's really cool. I hope you get a chance to go. But Lofoten would be amazing. Anyway, I realise I've yeah. taken up of your time. And I you. <laughs> so thanks, Kat, for coming on again. It's been wonderful. Um, we've been chatting for a long time. It's um, it's always good to catch up. Yeah, it's lovely. Anytime. Um, and yeah, safe travels. Thank you. Um, maybe come back on when you come back and tell us all about it. That would be really, really nice. Um, yeah. yeah, really good organisation, breaking the chains. So, and thanks yeah. for the chat. It's been a lovely evening. Yeah, I'll pop some links to them underneath, um, and to the book that you mentioned, um, and your social media and stuff. We'll pop it all underneath in case anyone wants to find it. But otherwise, thank everybody for watching. Thank you. Um, and I'll see you next time. Bye. All right. Cheers. Take care, Greg. If you enjoyed the podcast or want to hear more, remember to like and subscribe and give me a rating. For recipes and ideas, visit my website, saxonforager.co.uk. I also have three cookbooks available to buy on Amazon worldwide. These are Eat Like a Viking Volumes 1 and 2 and Eat Like a Halfling. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear more, remember to like and subscribe and give the show a rating. You can also help keep the show going by becoming a Patreon where you'll get early access to all episodes. Or check out my range of merch on my store. Links are in the episode description. Thanks for listening. Hey.